Amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you tonight. My heart is so full. You know, when we allow the love of God to just flow into our lives, there's nothing like being loved by God. And I just want to share just quickly with you, too. God, God is just showing us such favor. I want to just give you a quick story about yesterday. You know, we're continuing to go down the path of, you know, phase two, and we're we're having meetings with the civil engineers and, and our building team from Utah and whatnot. And yesterday we ran into a little situation where they weren't quite sure with the plans if we were going to end up having to move our building, you know, the plans of the building over a little bit because the colonnade that we want to line up with the tower up there looked like it was off a little bit. And... Uh, so we decided, let's get another surveyor out here. And so the town of Gilbert's civil engineer said, yeah, with the way their schedule is right now, it's probably going to be a couple weeks before we can get a surveyor out there. They were out here today. They were out here today. And it, it just, it's just amazing just to follow a God and just know he is, he's got us. And, and things will be according to his timing. And uh, just so, so wonderful. First Thessalonians chapter 1 this evening. You know, we're, this whole series is living in light of, of Jesus' return. And, and, and in every chapter, at the end of every chapter, there is a reference to the coming of Christ. So Paul, in, in probably his very first letter, uh, he wants the people of God to live every day in light that Jesus could come that day. And yet, in the first chapter, the first chapter is all about the church. And it's all about what kind of church should we be. Well, first of all, let's be reminded. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of the church. I hope you know that. You're part of the church, okay? And therefore, we have great privileges as part of the church, but we also have great responsibilities. And God lays out for us in his word what kind of church we should be. If we are a community of believers, this is the kind of church we should be. Now, this isn't all-inclusive, but it certainly gives us some good stuff. And we saw last week as we entered into chapter 1, God wants us to be an encouraged church because we have, you know, fellow believers. We have partners in ministry. We have friends, and, and they will encourage us. But most of all, we are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that is within the Lord is available to us. And then last week we saw we need to be an energetic church. We need to be out there doing our work of faith, our labor of love, and enduring in hope. That our work is fueled by our faith, our labor is fueled by our love, and our endurance is fueled by our hope. And we are to be an active people because God in the church has given us roles and responsibilities and callings and gifts and all of that, and we need to be busy about the master's business. Jesus even said in the parables, occupy till I come. You know, get focused on what I'm asking you to do and be about my business until I come back or I call you home. Now, last week we also got into a little bit of the next kind of church we should be, and that's an exemplary church. And then we're also going to see tonight an evangelistic church and an expectant church. So let's pick it up in verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. Let's never forget that. 
you and I are dearly loved and beloved by God. And that he has chosen us purposefully. Okay? Now, notice I'm getting a little ahead here, but in verse 7, you come down to verse 7, and the first three words are, as a result, you became an example. That's the exemplary part. But verse 5 and verse 6 teach us how we become a godly example. Because listen, you and I don't just get saved and all of a sudden, oh, we're, we're a great example of what we should be. No, we grow into that. And there are obviously two, good and godly examples, and there's bad examples in the church that we should not follow. I mean, John even talks about that in the book of 3 John. He actually calls out two men in the church. He says, Diotrephes, he wants to be the center of attention. He's a bad man. Don't follow Diotrephes. Demetrius, in your fellowship, that's a guy you need to follow, all right? And we'll come back to that later on in the message. So what I want you to see is, yes, God wants us to be part of an exemplary church where we become examples. But how do we get there? Well, let's go back up to verse 5, and let's see how we become the examples that we should become in Christ. He says, look, our gospel, verse 5, did not come to you merely in words, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Paul is declaring what I've shared before. The Bible is not merely for information, it's for transformation. And, and Paul is saying, here was how you started to become an example. You accepted and embraced the word of God, but you didn't treat it as mere words of man. You didn't treat it as human wisdom. You treated it as God speaking directly to you. And it came into your life with great power, power to transform, power to make us capable. And of course, that power comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit, God himself, the almighty God who lives within each of us. Going back even to our series in the book of Acts, what does Jesus say in Acts 1.8? You shall receive power when what? The Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the power is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so God gives us the information that we need through his word, but it is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power within us that can take that knowledge, take that understanding, take that information, and change us to be more like Jesus Christ. You and I need to continually make sure that as we expose ourselves to the revelation of God, that it is making a difference in our life. That we're not staying the same people. That, that we are allowing the word of God to come into our life and to change us and to transform us to be more like Jesus. Also notice in verse 5, with that will come deep convictions. Convictions that are certain. Convictions that are strong. Why? Because they're being built by the Holy Spirit himself. He's our teacher, ultimately. He's taking the word of God, and as we immerse ourselves in the word of God, as we read it, memorize it, meditate it, you know, meditate on it and study it, the Holy Spirit takes his word, 
and begins to build these very strong, firm convictions. Out of those convictions then, obviously comes settledness and stability. We're not, as the Bible teaches, someone who is, you know, back and forth with every wind that comes by. But we have a firmness and a stability and, and a settledness to our life. And so this is the progression that begins to happen in a new Christian once they accept Christ as their Savior and they begin on that path, we allow the Word of God to come into our lives and change us and begin to build convictions. Notice Paul says, you recall the character we displayed at the end of verse 5 when we came among you to help you. Now that's a key because that word help means to take one beyond where they presently are. So another aspect of becoming an example is not only letting the transforming power of the Word and the Holy Spirit change our lives and to develop deep, abiding convictions, but to never be satisfied and, and complacent with where we are as a believer. Always allowing God to take us beyond where we are. When we get to that level, then we allow God to take us up to the next level because there's always more of God to have. Always. We never get to the end of God. That's why I believe when people say, what are we going to be doing in heaven for all of eternity? As if it's a bad thing. Like, oh, eternity in heaven? Well, yeah. I'd rather be spending eternity in heaven than the other place. And, and one of the things that we're going to be doing in heaven is learning forever and ever. We will never stop learning and growing because God will be in our midst. And throughout eternity, we will be ever learning and growing more about God. I mean, think about it. He, he's infinite. So we're never going to get to the end of God, even throughout all of eternity. I know, that's sort of one of those, you know, type things. All right. Then notice, verse 6. And then you became imitators of us and of the Lord. <laughs> well, obviously, we should follow the Lord. And that's really what the word imitate means. To follow. In fact, in the Greek, it's actually the word mimetes, where we get our word mimic from. A mimic, a mime, someone who's literally trying to follow someone else. We know we need to follow the Lord, but Paul even says, no, follow us. Now, God approved examples. Again, because there's good examples in the church and there's bad examples within the church. And so you and I have to have the wisdom and the leadership of God to know who is it God in the church that I should be following, that I should be, you know, looking at the way they're living their life and try to follow their example. That's one of the ways you and I become a uh, an example. You see, before we can become an example to others and lead others, we've got to be able to follow others. And there's people in the church who are not good followers. And, and yet leadership in God's house and in the church means that I've got to be willing and, and able to follow others. And, and so we need to become imitators. Question. 
Obviously, I hope you're following the Lord. Who in the church are you also following? Who's inspiring and motivating your walk with God? That's very important. And then he says this. You became imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, so it's supernatural, despite great affliction. Paul is saying, here's something else about becoming an example. Our joy is not based on circumstances. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is something that you and I can exhibit and express in our Christian life in spite of our circumstances. These Thessalonians were going through it. They were experiencing tremendous pressure. It was like we talked about David. It was like the world sometimes feels like it's closing in, and yet they had this joy. Why? What is joy? Joy is the idea of being grateful for the grace and sufficiency of God. That's really what joy is. Because the word for joy, kara, and the word for grace, charis, in the Greek language, as you can tell, are very, very close. You can't have one without the other. And so you and I, no matter what our circumstance or situation, we can be filled with this joy, this deep-seated inner sense of well-being, not because of what we're going through or what we're dealing with, but because of the all-sufficiency of our God and the grace that he will bestow to us. And we can always be grateful for that. He may not take the circumstances away or make our circumstances different, but like with the Apostle Paul, his grace will always be flowing into our life. A grace that is sufficient to meet every need and that God is always sufficient and enough for us. And that's something that these people were reflecting. So see, they weren't fair-weather Christians, as we, as we say. They were Christians that were displaying the fruit of the Spirit like the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not something you and I can work up ourselves. It's something that as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, we will experience and express the joy of the Lord no matter what our circumstances are. It's these steps that Paul started with in verse 5 that then leads to us becoming an example. Notice that. As a result, a result of what? Verses 5 and 6. That's how you and I become an example to others. We let the word of God transform and change us. We develop strong convictions because, listen, people aren't going to follow us if we're not confident about who we are and who God is and where we're going. And then... We need to be followers of God-approved examples and of the Lord. We need to never be complacent and always be willing for more. And we need to display fruits of the Spirit no matter what our circumstances are because we are not to be, as Christians, circumstantially driven or defined. We are to be defined by God and by God alone. 
when we begin to go down that path, then as Paul says, as a result, you became an example. You became one. You didn't automatically get there. You had to become an example to others. Now, I love this word example. It means to be a model that makes a deep impression formed by repetition. Let's stop there. A model or an example that makes a deep impact or impression forged by repetition. Doesn't that then say something about how God wants his church to operate, meaning you and I, the church? If we're not getting close to each other in some way, again, not all of us can be equally close to everybody in the church, but if we're not getting close to certain people in the church, then how can we have that repetition that's repeated often enough to make an example or to be an example to us and to leave an impression upon us? You've heard me say this. You can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact them up close. And that's why we need to at least be close to some people, fellow believers, because it's when we are close to them and we have that repetition coming into our life. That's why Jesus, when he called his disciples, what did he say? Come follow me. We're just going to hang out together for three years. We're going to do life together. And so almost every day, the disciples were around Jesus. And some days, it was predominantly teaching they heard. Other days, they saw Jesus do a miracle or, or just interact with other people. But they were constantly seeing Jesus and how he was living day in and day out. That's how God wants the church to operate. That's the way we make impressions and impacts on others is that way. And here's, though, the part that really got me. This word is used a couple other times in the New Testament. And one time it is used, here's how it's used. It is used to speak of the nail prints of Jesus. Well, that's a powerful picture here. The nail prints of Jesus, a deep, lasting impression. In fact, we know that even in Jesus' glorified body, he still had the prints, right? Because it was to make an eternal impact and impression. Even though his body was glorified in every other way, Jesus was going to keep the prints of the nails so that throughout eternity, even then and even there, those prints could make an impact and impression upon us. God wants us to live in such a way that the way we are living and how we are living and the example that we are laying down for others can be a deep and abiding impression and impact that makes a positive difference in their life. So, God wants us to be part of an encouraged church, an energetic church, an exemplary church, then verse 8, an evangelistic church. Now again, 
When I use the word evangelism or to be evangelistic, I'm not just narrowing it down to sharing the gospel with those who are lost to bring them to salvation. That's wonderful. And that's part of being evangelistic. But in the Bible, I think just like even here, what you will see is evangelism isn't just narrowed down to that particular aspect. To be evangelistic simply means to spread the word of God. That's what it means, to get the word of God out there in some way. So notice what Paul says. For from you there in Thessalonica, the message of the Lord, the word of God has echoed forth. It literally means to sound forth loud and clear. Okay? God is saying, this is what I want my church to be. I want it to be a church where the message, the words that I have can echo out and be sounded out loud and clear. Not just in Macedonia, Paul says, and in Achaia, but in every place reports of your faith in God has spread. Oh, what a testimony. What a witness that the trust in God that the Thessalonians, you know, were displaying, they didn't need to, as we say today, they didn't need to ever toot their own horn. They didn't say, they didn't have to go out there in the world and go, hey, look at us. No. They just lived how they were supposed to live, and other people noticed. And other people started to say, you hear about that church in Thessalonica? Do you, do you see what's going on? Man, their lives are changing. Their, their worship is changing. Their, their service is changing. Their, their attitudes are changing. There's something different about that church. There, there's a power in that church. There's a presence of God in that church. There's grace flowing in it. There's love. I mean, it, it got the attention of others simply by being who they were supposed to be. And God wants us to be the same. We won't need to, like, call attention. You know, we live in a world today that they want attention. They want to call attention to themselves. They, they, they can't stand it when they're not the focus of attention. Listen, God says to his people, you be who I want you to be, and I'll bring the attention. I'll bring the attention. So, Paul goes on at the end of verse 8 to say, so that we don't even need to say anything. Nothing needs to be said because in a sense he's saying the church in Thessalonica is saying all it needs to be said. They're living it. They're living it out. They're living out their faith. They're becoming examples. They're doing it God's way and other churches and other believers and even other unbelievers are taking notice of the way they're living. I want us to think about this. I want you to think about this. I want us all to give this some thought. And I've encouraged and exhorted us to do this. How do we get the word of God and the message of God to echo? What are some things that we can do as a church? What are some things we can do individually? Let me just give you an example, a very simple example. Because I hear people at the Oasis doing this. They will come to a service on a Wednesday or Sunday, and God does something in their life, 
and they know of a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, somebody that they feel that worship and that word that happened Wednesday night or Sunday, that person could, could use to experience that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage them to go on the Oasis website and, and listen to that service and listen to the worship songs that Nicole leads us in and listen to the word of God. And in that way, we're echoing. We're echoing. So you and I, we need to continually think about what are the ways God wants us to get his word out. That, I think I've shared this with you before many years ago. Uh, God worked in me and said, Jeff, I want you to, to do some writing. And I'm like, God. I mean, it was just like the whole battle that I had with the Lord about starting this church. It's like, no, God, anybody but me. First of all, I hate to write. I don't consider myself a writer in any respect. No, God, I get somebody else to do it. Of course, you know God. He doesn't give up on us, even though, you know. He had to work me over a little bit. But I felt like God said, I want those books to be something that you can hand out or like there, have people purchase to, to get the word of God out, right? All of us need to think about ways that we can take the message of God, the things that God is doing, the revelation of God, and figure out how can I be an echo and get that out, you know? Even worship songs, you know, all the songs that we sing here, you know, I've even done that with people where it's like, I know that there's a, a worship song that, that I think could encourage somebody. And guess what I do? I text it to them or I send it to them or I, I share with them. Hey, have you heard this song? This, this really uplifted me. This really encouraged me. Again, ways to get our message and the message of God out. And then verse 9 and 10, an expectant church. For people everywhere report how you welcomed us and how you turned to God from idols. This is how they became a believer. Okay, so he's sort of going back to the beginning. To serve the living and true God. So before we get to verse 10, let me just make a couple of points. The word turn means that's our choice. God will not force us to turn to him. You and I have to make that choice to turn away from false gods, idols, and to turn to him. But then notice, it's not just turning to him and coming to faith and being saved, but there's also a purpose beyond our salvation, and that's also included in verse 9. To serve as a devoted and willing and available servant, you see. We are saved not to sit. We are saved not to be a spectator. We are saved to serve. Saved to serve. Verse 10. And not only to serve, but to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus our deliverer from the coming wrath. To wait. We sang about that tonight, waiting on the Lord. It means, in fact, the song even says it, it means to be expectant, to, to anticipate. And so what God is saying is, you as the church, you be busy 
and occupied doing what I've called you to do and what I'm asking you to do and what I'm moving in you to do, but in everything, also wake up every day going, this could be the day I see Jesus. This could be the day Jesus comes. And so how do I want to live that day before I see my Lord? And, and when you and I, if we could live every day going, this could be my last day on earth before Jesus breaks through those clouds and takes me home, you know, how do I want to live? What do I want him to be finding me doing and occupied with and focused on and all of that? This is the kind of mindset. This is the kind of, of living in that kind of expectancy and anticipation. I mean, this was so near to the heart of Jesus, that the next to last verse in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, Jesus said, surely I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming suddenly. And so John's only response is, amen, come Lord Jesus. Hopefully that's our response too. Jesus, we would be, we would be perfectly content if you would come. Not necessarily to get us out of here because, you know, we don't want to be here serving you anymore. We know we're here for a purpose, but we want you to come so that you can be glorified as you are worthy of. Because right now, the majority of the world does not view you in the value and in the worth that you should be viewed as. And so that's the kind of expectancy but know this, there's going to be two kinds of people, if you will, sitting in two different directions on either side of the fence when Jesus comes. There's going to be those who are waiting for him to come and whom he takes to heaven. But then notice also at the end of verse 10, for the rest, there's God's wrath that's coming. There's judgment that's coming. And that's not something, obviously, that we want to be a part of. And obviously, anybody that we know and care about and love, we don't want them to be a part of either because the day is coming in which the judgment of God will be manifested against the unbelieving world because they had every chance and every opportunity to turn from idols to the living God, just like the people in Thessalonica did, and they refused the love of God. And the only thing left, is the wrath of God. I'm so thankful that I'll never have to experience God's wrath. Just like you, that God's wrath was poured out on his son on that cross. That's where we see God's wrath. And Jesus took all of that so that we didn't have to. Wow, what a God. What a Savior. But notice, if you go back up to chapter 1, verse 1, this all takes place where? In the context of the church. Who was this letter written to? It was written to the church. And you and I as Christians are part of the church. What part are we playing as the church? Are we doing our part as part of the church? And then on a little bit bigger scale, what kind of community of believers are we a part of? Are we part of a church that is an encouraged church, that is an energetic church, that is an exemplary church, 
that is an expectant church, that is an evangelistic church, because that's the kind of church that God wants his people to be a part of until we see his son come from heaven. Well, next week, we're going to jump into chapter 2, and Paul's going to lay out for us there a model for ministry. You know, he's talked in chapter 1 a lot about serving the Lord and, and turning to God to serve and how we need to do our work of faith and our labor of love and our endurance of hope. So now Paul's going to take that concept that he sort of put in seed form in chapter 1, and now he's going to expand on it in chapter 2. He's going to say, here's what ministry looks like. And, and you want an example for ministry? You want an example to set before other Christians and even ourselves to say, this is how we should be doing ministry? Paul lays it all out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so I hope you'll come back next week. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, first of all, for the hope that we have that Jesus is coming. Lord, we're so thankful that we can wake up every morning that we can go to bed every night living in the expectancy and the anticipation of fulfilling your promise that you will come back one day. And yet, Lord, in the meantime, until you come, you want us to be part of the church, part of a community of believers, and not just to be there to sit and to spectate, but to truly participate to find and build partnerships with other Christians, to, to serve, to work, to labor, to endure together, to bring glory to you, to get your word out, to change the atmosphere and the environment, Lord, that we live in, to impact other people's lives, to make such a deep impression that it abides for many, many years to leave a lasting legacy. God, that's what being part of the church is all about. So I pray tonight, God, that we will be fully engaged in what you've asked us to do. That, God, we won't take on more than what you're asking because, Lord, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. It is a uniquely well-fitted responsibility that you have for each of us. It won't be something, God, that makes us feel like we're carrying around a thousand pounds on our back that's not your will for us but lord you do have for each of us a unique and well-fitted responsibility a part to play in your kingdom lord may we know what that part is and may we be going after it with everything we've got thank you god for the wonderful time of worship we've had here tonight and for the wonderful time we've had in your word. As Nicole prayed, God, may we hear you tonight and see you. And, and Lord, may, may you give us those eyes to see and those ears to hear, not just to fulfill and, and fill our minds with more information and, and knowledge and principles and concepts, but to allow God what you're saying to us to transform us and to change our lives. God, go with us as we go home tonight. Take us home safely. Give us all a good night's rest and wake us up tomorrow once again, Lord, to live in the light 
of the return of our Savior, Jesus. And we ask all these things in his precious name. Amen. God bless for being here. Thank you.